Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to episode two of season 22 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. On the show today, I'm talking to Lisa Chang, Senior Vice President and Chief People Officer at the Coca-Cola Company. HR has really always been a real-time or delayed function. Business makes the decisions, they decide what they're going to do, and then they get their HR person involved to actually transact it, right? We've moved it a little bit further up the continuum, so we're more kind of real-time now. So it's like, okay, we're making decisions, we're sitting right there, we're deciding, okay, if we do this, what does that impact? So that's good, that's progress. I think we need to move even further to be ahead where we're actually looking at what's coming and processing the impact that will have on people and culture and ways of working so that when the business is dealing with it, we already know, hey, you know, this is an issue we're going to have to deal with and how do we handle it. Throughout our conversation, Lisa shares her perspective on how HR is evolving as a function based on her experiences throughout a nearly 30-year career in HR and her current role as a Chief People Officer for employees across more than 200 countries worldwide. We also discuss the role of the Chief People Officer and HR function in supporting organizational transformation. We look at the impact of the pandemic on employee experience and wellness and how the Coca-Cola company has addressed this. We look at the critical areas that HR needs to focus on to be successful in the future. And then finally, Lisa shares her thoughts on how HR can add business value as we start to hopefully transition out of the pandemic. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Lisa Chang, Chief People Officer at Coca-Cola to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thanks so much for spending the time uh, with our listeners. Can can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to you and your current role at Coca-Cola? Absolutely. First of all, thank you, David, for having me on your podcast. Um, I'm a follower of your work and excited to be here to share some insights about um, what we're doing as well as the evolution of the future of HR. So um, I am the Chief People Officer for the Coca-Cola Company and have the pleasure and honor of leading uh, the people function in our over 200 countries around the world where um, Coca-Cola has a presence. And um, just excited to share with you some of the exciting work that we're doing. Well, great. And, and thanks for the, thanks for the kind reference there as well, Lisa. It's, 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 it's good to Good to hear that you maybe listen to some of the other podcast episodes as well. Um, before we get into the work that you're currently doing at Coca-Cola, um, it'd be really great to hear a little bit about your career history and your journey to Chief People Officer. Sure. So um, my uh, journey to HR was a little bit non-traditional, um, although I think that's probably true of a lot of HR leaders. And I started out uh, really on the path of thinking I was going to medical school. And soon realizing that you have to be comfortable in hospitals and um, enjoy being around that type of environment, to which I didn't. So um, in college, I recognized that perhaps the shortcomings um, of that, and I migrated towards uh, a major in communications. And in doing so, I was able to secure an internship with a company at the time called Digital Equipment, which was a a technology sort of um, computer IT organization back in the day. And I was uh, ceremoniously put into the personnel department. And that began my journey of curiosity, um, as well as eagerness to learn more about what this field was, and subsequently has led to an almost 30-year career 
um, in the space of HR. And um, joined Coca-Cola about three years ago, have been in and around the Atlanta area working for marquee companies such as Turner Broadcasting and CNN, um, Equifax, a financial services company. And then uh, just before joining, I was part of the sports businesses in Atlanta working for Arthur Blank, the former founder of Home Depot, who is also the owner of the Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United professional um, sports teams. So uh, a sort of varied background, um, all focused primarily in human resources. I did have one stint uh, when I was at the Weather Channel, which was another company I was at for almost 11 years. I did have one stint outside of HR when I went into product management. And um, we may have a chance to talk about that, but I would consider that to be a pivotal moment in my journey of HR as a business, as opposed to HR as a transaction function. Yeah, well, that leads on nicely to the next question. I was just about to say that HR is increasingly you know, creating products, creating offerings for, for employees and, and, and actually putting the employee at the center, just as we put our customers at the center as organizations as well. So it'll be interesting, actually, in the next uh, next question, I'm going to ask Lisa uh, how that experience in product management kind of fits into that a little bit. Obviously, you've been in HR a, a while. Uh, we've both been in HR already around the HR field for quite a long time. And obviously, there's been quite a lot of change. Love to see, you know, the, the change that you've seen during your career in HR. How do you think HR has evolved over that time? Yeah, well, I, I touched on that briefly, but I, I would say that if I think back to my formidable HR training years in the sort of early 90s, late 80s, um, we were really as a function trying to move on that continuum of transaction to strategy. And I remember very distinctly all the conversations around how do you make HR more strategic? How do you get people to think of us as more than payroll and benefits? And at the time, it seemed like a place that we would be stuck in for a long time because we provided sort of necessary functions. But I think what's happened um, over the last 20 years is definitely we've moved on that continuum. We've gotten smarter and better through technology to allow us to automate a lot of the functions that we used to have to do manually. And that has freed up that capacity and mind space to allow us to do things that contribute to the business in a more meaningful way. But I also think that um, it has allowed us to really focus in on how do we take care of our people? And nothing has been more important uh, than that over the past few years. And whereas before, taking care of our people meant making sure they got paid and had benefits has moved completely to the other side of um, significant caretaking and protecting through the social justice, the pandemic, wars, you know, you name it, sort of um, how we take care of people today in the HR function is critically important and very strategic compared to where we were, you know, 20 some years ago. And obviously, that's, that's been particularly resonant in the last two years, hasn't it? And actually, you know, CEO, the board, they've been looking to to you, no doubt, as Chief Officer and, your, and the team and the, the HR team at Coca-Cola to, to really to do that, to put employee well-being at, at the center of responding to the pandemic. You know, love to hear a little bit about that, really, because I and and do we think that this is going to stay? Um, you know, thinking about the HR field as a whole, um, and actually, you know, maybe some of the things that have come out of that around, you know, when you look after people properly and and and, and treat well-being, and you look at all the social injustice that as, as well also raised it says over the last couple of years, is this like a, a new mission for HR and for, and for organisations? 
I, I definitely think that it's here to stay. And I think part of um, that is driven by employee expectations. Um, so we have uh, moved to an environment where employees expect us to stand up for things and, and to protect them. And if you think about how much misinformation may have been spread um, during the last few years through, you know, while so social media is wonderful for democratizing voice, it also has created a lot of noise where it is oftentimes difficult to determine what's the truth and what's perhaps fabricated or, you know, a, a different perspective and point of view. So employees have come to depend on employers as a source of truth when it came to everything from health and safety to, um, you know, company positions on uh, different stances, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that, again, becomes a really important relationship that we have. And what I see more and more of, not only through our employee surveys, but through um, outside research, is that companies, uh, employees expect companies to do that. And as they are searching for their future employers, they're asking themselves the question, is this a company that takes care of its people? Is this a company that has a conscience? Is this a company that does the right thing when it comes to ESG? Does this company have diversity? So I think it's going to be hard not to let it stick because that level of accountability from our employees who we try to attract and retain to do the work is there. Um, so I think that's an important part of it. With respect to you know what has happened during the last few years from a uh, well-being and a people perspective, we, in addition to going through the pandemic and the social justice um, issues in the marketplace, et cetera, we also did a major transformation in our company where we reorganized ourselves and you know went top to bottom and did a lot of work. And the only way we were able to do that was sitting back and looking through the lens of the impact it would have on people. And so that really affected the strategy of how we decided to approach the reorganization. So there are lots of ways that companies can reorganize, and especially during a pandemic where you were hearing about companies closing their doors and employees hearing about it in an email and things like that. So we were very, very conscious that in order to have transformation happen, we were on a transformation journey anyway. What we decided to do was accelerate that transformation in light of the pandemic because our business models were shifting as well. But we did it through the lens of employees. And what we tried to do was be really honest and really transparent about the impact of business. But we also gave people choice. And we tried to build a couple of pathways to explain to people what the opportunities for choice would be, including um, taking a voluntary package, posting for a new job, reconsidering if they want to go back to school and get education. So we tried to, again, take the situation through the lens of, as you said, the voice of the employee. What would this mean to me? And how might I approach this change as opposed to it happening to me? Can I have a voice in how I might respond to the change? So I think that's um, something that's fairly modern for us where we've been known to kind of have reorganizations and, you know, people find out about the reorganizations in a very short order. We talked about our reorganization for several months before we actually um, enacted it. And that's something that we haven't done in the past. But in doing so, we focused in on the change management aspect, which I think was a really important part. So, so more, more transparency, more inclusivity uh, around that. So as you said, thinking about it from the perspective of, of the employee or the, the, the people in the organization rather than how companies traditionally have done transformations, which is, as you said, it's a, 
there's a big announcement. There's a not huge amount of communication sometimes. Sometimes people read about it outside, you know, in the newspapers or on the, on the on social media, as you said, or on in the newspapers. Um, you know, what 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 were some of the impacts that that you that you had from that? In in obviously, you, you mentioned employee survey. Did did you did you test to see how that approach? Um, resonated or, or, or not with employees as well? Yeah, so we started the process fairly early with the senior most leaders, and then we kind of went down to the business units. And, you know, what we tested with people was the fact that change was coming. And we had been signaling this change even pre-pandemic. So the transformation journey of our business, moving from one product, Coca-Cola, to a portfolio of beverages, which is the Beverages for Life strategy that our chairman and CEO, James Quincy, has been um, promoting for several years we kind of told people, hey, change is coming. We're going to have to transform the way we're organized, transform the way we operate, transform the way we um, organize the roles and responsibilities. And so it's coming. We were sort of laying that that foundational groundwork in, in early 2019. So when 2020 came and we decided to go ahead and just continue with the change, but actually hit the gas a little bit, we anchored on that. And we tried to help people understand that this was not a change that we were doing because of the pandemic. We took it as an opportunity to accelerate because our business model was accelerating. I mean, we're a heavily food service on-premise business in many parts of the world where, you know, you, you, we rely on our, our um, restaurants and retail chains to sell our products. And when the pandemic was around, everything was closed. So our products could not reach consumers through normal channels. So we had to accelerate our business model to find other ways to get to our consumers, which necessarily mean we had to change. So I think by connecting the two and helping people logically understand not only the impact to the business, but the impact to how we service our customers was really important because it became much more about the entire company and the ecosystem, not again about eliminating roles or taking people out of jobs. We created equal the number of new jobs in new spaces and, and, and doubled down on things like data and insights and analytics and digital. And so we really tried to give people opportunities to reskill themselves in different ways. Um, or in some cases, there were people who um, were probably ready to get off the train and um, had just been waiting for the right opportunity. And we made that process for them um, a little easier for them to do. Yeah, give that soft landing, I guess, so people can, you know, if they, they do decide it's time to get off the train, as you, as you put it, that they, they kind of then, that you, they put nicely on the platform and they can go next to the next destination, you know, with, with support to, to, to do that. And in HR's role in the transformation, um, you know, what I mean, you talked about. I heard you say about you know the conscience. Is is that is is that HR's main role in the transformation, or obviously you talked about data and, and surveying as well? Is it, you know how would you how would you sort of articulate that? Yeah, I mean, I have a personal passion around that topic, but I I, I think the conscience is really uh, driven by the CEO, the ELT, uh, the board. I mean, that's what we stand for, and a lot of that is also baked into our history of who we are. Um, as a corporate citizen. And so where I see HR's role is the translation of our conscience and our purpose into our people programs. So when we say we want to make a difference, when we say we want to ensure a diverse and inclusive environment, or that we respect uh, diversity, or that we promote accountability, or that we 
uh, want people to operate um, in an agile way, that has to be translated into how we operate with our people, not only through people processes, but how we communicate in the way we lead our culture. So I take it very, um, uh, that responsibility very seriously to be the steward of making sure that what we've identified as our conscience and our culture is embedded in everything that we do. I'm not a believer that culture and um, purpose and all of that is an HR thing because it, it will never sustain itself if it's not embedded into how we operate in the business strategy. So fortunately with our leadership team and with our CEO and our board, we have you know, maintained the elevation of that as a leadership responsibility, not an HR responsibility. I play a big role in that in, in the functions that I oversee, but we really talk about it at all levels in our organization to make sure that um, it's incorporated into not only the work that we do, but the metrics that we have. That leads on nicely to the, the role of the CHRO or the Chief People Officer. You know, this is a role that's, you know, really undergone um, a real elevation, I think, in the last couple of years in particular, in terms of visibility, I think, to the, to the outside world. I'd love to hear how you've seen that role evolve during your career and, and, and particularly during the last two. Yeah, so definitely what I have seen, um, this is, um, you know, my third role as a CHRO. And what I would say is, you know, the responsibilities that we have had, which include, um, you know, being a counselor and a coach to the leadership team and being focused on talent and leadership and succession um, remain. But I think there is an amplified responsibility in the space. It's no longer you know, a nice to have or a check the box, or let's make sure we do these things. Or when it comes to succession planning, many organizations I've been part of, we always did succession planning and they were pretty extensive processes with, you know, back in the day, big notebooks and binders and all this, and they were plans on paper. But when it came time to execute the succession plan, the books were really not helpful because what you determined, what you found out is the plans that you had on paper weren't actually executable or the talent that was identified for the purposes of satisfying the succession plan were really not feasible successors. So what we have done and what I think has become a really important responsibility of the CHRO over the last um, several years is operationalizing succession planning to the point that there is a operationally feasible plan that if something happens and a transition happens, the plan works, right? Not just here's a list of people that we said could be on the job. And then when it comes, oh, we're going to do an outside search or we're not, you know. So I think that's critically important. And what I have found is the board is very um, focused on ensuring the feasibility of that plan because the sustainability of the leadership and the ability to take the company forward is heavily reliant on having successors built in. And so um, they have been much more vocal about making sure that these plans are not just on paper, but if we were to operationalize it, what could we actually do by when? So I see that as being something that we've, um, you know, I talked a lot to my peers um, in the marketplace too. I think that's something that we've all been focused on. I think the other thing is um, similarly, um, it's nice to talk about DEI, but we have to operationalize it the same way. So the focus on us has been how do we do that and how do we operationalize it, not just in HR practices, but across the business. And because of the focus of investors and shareholders and the board and ESG, it has become, again, a much more important aspect of our role as HR leaders is to ensure that our organizations not only have programs, 
but that we're actually executing on it and that the results are there and that we can see movement in this space. We have um, lots of folks that will ask um, to investors of ours that will ask to um, get a briefing on our DEI plans. They want to know what we're doing and what if what we're saying is actually being performed within our company. And um, we recently announced that we're linking executive compensation to ESG. So those are the types of things that I think you will expect more of in the future. And those of us that lead the function are, are, are required to really keep that at the top of the leadership agenda. And I know you've got a, a burgeoning um, chief analytics function at Coca-Cola. And, so, and obviously a bit of a passion for me, as you, as you know. You know <laughs> what has been the role of, of data in those two areas around succession planning and around you know, embedding DEI? Well, I, I'm extremely proud of the work that we're doing. It's a journey. Um, and I think the what has come, you've probably experienced this, but what has come really to fruition for me is the investments that we need to make in capturing people analytics, right? We have all kinds of systems that capture customer data, sales data, financial data, but the people data is, you know, oftentimes it's, you scratch your head, like, why don't we have this data? And it's just the investment. So we're a little bit behind um, as a HR function, you know, across industries on that, but I think we're making progress. So a couple things I would say is during the reorganization or the transformation of the company in 2020, the uh, people analytics and insights with talent played a really critical role in our ability to appoint leaders in the company. So when we restructured and reorganized, we reappointed and or appointed uh, our senior 200 plus of our senior leaders. We literally went through seat by seat and we said, is this the best person for the role, et cetera. All of those, what we call people selection forums, were informed by data. So obviously people came with their perceptions of so-and-so is good for this job and they've done better here, et cetera. And that was obviously input as well. But we had tons of data. We had um, assessment data. We had employee engagement data. We had uh, performance enablement, which is our performance management, upward feedback data, we had all of this data with us, and we were really kind of testing, does the audio match the visual? And if we're seeing something, does the data back it up? And if they are really focused on developing people and promoting people, are they doing regular feedback sessions with their talent? Are they giving them what they need? Are their engagement levels high? Do they support their people? Is it, is it matching? So our ability to have that data has been critical in our ability to appoint leaders into roles. And while it's not perfect because we're still kind of refining the way we capture data, overwhelmingly, it's been successful. We have determined that the people we've put in jobs are accelerating to the levels of leadership that we would expect them to accelerate. And they're showing the behaviors that we want them to see. A really interesting insight that we did is we took the data, so all that data that I mentioned to you, and we um, took a snapshot of that cohort of leaders in the organization. And we did the same thing for the senior most people in the company. And what we found is the leaders that were sort of next in the pipeline were actually better equipped to be leaders of the future based on the competencies and the future of our business than the existing leadership team. They just, they had sort of naturally a focus on leading through people, whereas our people at the senior risk letter were focused on leading the business. And so that was a really telling way for us to say, hey, you know, 
what got you here won't get you there. And what we need to do is make sure that we're putting leaders in place that can take us to the next level. So that's been really, really helpful um, on our talent front. On the DEI front, we're spending uh, quite a bit of time moving beyond representation. So we've had lots of data that tells us, you know, what's our cut of data for gender, ethnicity, et cetera. And we're now putting it towards trending lines. And, you know, it's a three legged stool. You've got recruitment, retention, um, uh, recruitment, retention, and uh, growth. And so we have to figure out how are we doing all three? So the data that we're starting to put together now is multidimensional. You can't just recruit, only recruit diverse talent, and you can't just only promote diverse talent, and you can't, you know, you have to do all three. So our data is becoming more robust. We're really starting to try to figure out where do we move the needle. We're starting to see the places where there's a little bit of a ceiling, and we're starting to try to figure out, okay, how we break that down. So for example, in some parts of our organization, tenure is long. And so senior roles don't open very frequently. And so you see this, we have diverse and or gender talent in the pipeline, but then they fall off because the seats are not coming open. So then we ask ourselves the question, okay, what do we do? How do we give those people experiences until such time that we could put them in the job? Or is there another role that we can put them in that grows them um, equally? So, and, and all that, I think it's important to have the data and the insights to make those informed decisions. You can do it based on gut, but when you have the data, it's far more compelling. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, we're gonna, we'll, we'll probably come back to some more data, data injected questions or data-driven questions a little bit later. I think we're going to talk about HR skills, so I think it might come up there. When we come back in just a moment... Lisa talks about the major transformation that Coca-Cola has recently been through and how HR has managed the impact of the transformation on company culture. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Orkview. In a time when disruption and uncertainty are constantly present, Orkview puts businesses on the front foot. As the leading organisational planning and design software platform, Orkview captures the power of data and modelling to build more adaptable, better performing organizations. Orkview gives you control of your organization and, with data evidence, helps you make faster, more confident decisions to get the right people doing the right work at the right cost. This is real-time organizational planning and design for times of change. Orkview is used by the world's largest and best-known enterprises to fearlessly build the organizations they want tomorrow, today. To discover more, visit orgview.com. That's O-R-G-V-U-E.com. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Lisa Chang. Now, back to the conversation. I know as well as being um, the Chief People Officer, you're also a board advisor. What do you think that boards of companies as well as CEOs expect from from HR today? And and how are you making sure that HR delivers what the business needs at at Coca-Cola? Yes, um, I do have the great fortune of serving on an external board as well as several nonprofits. I would say on the external board, um, it is interesting to see what is being asked for when the tables are turned and what I ask for as sort of the board advisor versus, you know, management team. 
but it's um, a lot of the same things that we've talked about. It's making sure that we're um, focused on diverse hiring practices and as they're bringing new talent in, that we're um, making sure that we have a diverse slate. Um, it is making sure that there is a purpose, values, and uh, culture that is uh, indicative of the business. Uh, we, uh, The board that I'm on, we hired a new CEO, and one of the first conversations I had with him as he joined as CEO in my, in my board seat was me asking him the question, okay, what is your perspective on culture? How are you planning to drive culture in your organization, and what does that look like, right? Um, we're also focused heavily on making sure that the engagement levels are there. The the biggest, uh, challenge that we all have, and I know you've spent quite a bit of time on this now is this, what does this hybrid work world look like and how do we get people operating back kind of in person with respect to hybrid, all of that. And how do you keep that level of engagement high uh, while bringing people together when 70% of the people are still saying they have no interest in coming back into an office, right? And so some of the conversations I've had with the company that I advise is, you know, what's the balance? You know, and that company is very different than our company in that they have a lot more feet on the street. They have service advisors and people that have to go into the homes and the things in those roles you can't do virtually, so how do we address the needs and concerns that they might have for the needed flexibility that they want while meeting the business objectives? Um, and then I think I go back to the ESG. We're asking lots of questions about not only diversity, but sustainability. And what is the company's plan to ensure um, that we minimize the footprint through the, their business? So, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of the same topics. Leadership and succession is extremely important and making sure that there is a, a viable path for the future. Well, one could say that, that being chief officer is a is a good um, grooming for being the, the CEO, actually. I mean, we've seen Lena Nair um, obviously take the, the CEO role at Chanel after a you know, very successful stint as uh, chief people officer at Unilever. A lot of the topics that are coming out of the boards now are people topics, effectively. It's quite, quite interesting. You talk, we talked about the major transformation um, that Coca-Cola has undergone and how that happened in parallel with the with the pandemic and the and the social justice crisis you know i'd love to hear from a sort of um you know what's the what's the impact been on the on the company culture again maybe bringing in some of the 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 challenges around hybrid as well i mean i'd love to hear i guess every time there's a transformation there has to be a, a to an extent a culture transformation as well i'd love to hear a little bit more about that yes so as I mentioned, we have been on a journey um, for the last several years that our chairman and CEO started when he was president COO to move our organization to what we call a more networked organization. So Coca-Cola has been around for 135 years. We've been pretty set in the way that we operate. We go back and forth between centralized, decentralized, centralized, decentralized. But for the most part, you know, there are roles um, we have business units. It's pretty. It's a pretty established hierarchy and way of working, and it's worked, right? So we've been successful yeah. for 135 years. This transformation that we've been on has really been about breaking down some of those, um, the negative aspects of those, you know, hierarchies and structures, which has been one of creating scalability and um, joint and shared success. So. What's successful in Europe might not work in Latin America, might not work in the U.S. And we created sort of customized businesses to address all of those. 
But as time has gone on, the world has become a much more uh, shared space and collective space. And what we've discovered is that having, you know, 200 different ways of addressing innovation and marketing and shared services and all doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, One, financially, because you're just replicating cost structure. But secondly, you're not benefiting from what's the most um, beneficial aspects of working in a network is shared best practices. We're, you know, arguably one of the best um, kind of CPG marketing companies in the world. But yet we have all these different marketing campaigns that are created around the world when we could really just leverage the power that we have and push it out. So we've taken it away from what was previously called centralized because that has a negative connotation. And we've instead created the networked way of working, which is we really want everybody to share in the success. And what do we bring to the table that allows us to scale things across the world? Same thing as on the people programs, as well as um, you know how we're doing marketing, as well as how we're doing you know some of our other functions. But it's really taking that mentality of, oh, corporate tells me what to do to, oh, what's the best way to do it? Maybe the best way to do it has been created by a business unit, you know, somewhere completely different than where I'm used to operating. But wow, they figured out a really cool way to interact with consumers that makes a lot of sense for us to do. So that has been, I think, the most encouraging part of our our transformation and our culture, which is getting people away from this mentality of this is my lane and that's your lane and just what what we call water polo. We want people to play across. You know, we all have a success, which is to get to the goal, but it's not like you have to stay in your lane, right? The goal is just get it to the goal. Um, And so I think that's been a successful part of of our journey and and part of what we're trying to do uh, to move the needle along. I think the other part of our culture is one of this leadership transparency and authenticity. So because we are what I would say a very traditional company by history, there has been a very, um, you know, just traditional way of leadership. It's like there's the leaders and then there's the people and the people do what the leaders say. Right. And so we're moving that as well into one of leaders provide the guidance and the direction, but the execution really needs to be owned and held accountable at the business level. So it's not do this because the chairman and CEO said it, but it's like, OK, the chairman and CEO asked an interesting question. What does that look like in our business unit and how might we solve that problem? And that, I think, has required us to put in place leaders that can be authentic and transparent and human, right? So it's not this, oh, here comes the leader and everybody kind of stands in line and is on their best behavior. It's how can I ask questions that help us raise it to the different level? And what I've seen has been amazing. People... Our, our CEO and our leadership team have made themselves very accessible through town halls and other Q&A functions and on market visits. And people are opening up to this notion of, you know, our leaders are people too, and they have the best interests of our business. So let me ask a question. What's not happening is, you know, it's the end of your career if you ask a challenging question, right? Instead, it's kind of like, wow, that's a really good question. We don't know the answer to that, but let us think about how we might solve that that question. Because, of course, it's so important to create that culture, you know, of trust and transparency, because, you know, a lot of the best questions and best ideas will actually come from from employees anyway who are actually doing the work. And it's so important for leaders to hear those questions. 
Absolutely. And I think the pandemic has helped accelerate that as well, because we sort of all went to a level playing field when we got into this Zoom environment, right? So no longer do you have the big executive office on one floor and everybody else on another. Like we all have our little box and it's equal sized yeah. and we're, you know, all working from our homes. And so a lot of that, I think, helped us accelerate our journey to transparency because we're all working from home as well. The CEO is working from his home. And, you know, there are lots of things that help people understand that we have the same challenges and problems that they have. And I remember one particular during a, um, a town hall, um, somebody asked him a question about his office setup and, you know, how was he finding working at home with, you know, without all the equipment that we have in our fancy offices. And he literally pulled out a, a box and said, well, this is my, um, you know, this is my standing desk. I take this box and I put it down and then I put my computer on top of it and I can stand up. And so that created a level of hum humanness that was like, oh, well, he doesn't have some big telescoping monitor like, you know, we all wish we had. He's using a box from home just like we are. Funny enough, I am actually, my Mac is perched on top of a box at the moment on my desk. That's funny. Enough. Um, <laughs> and my kids have just come home from school. So I'm actually very nervous they're going to walk through the door, even though there's a sign on the door saying recording session on. But anyway. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now let's go back to the conversation with Lisa as she discusses the impact of the pandemic on employee experience and wellness and what HR needs to focus on to be successful in the future. And what do you think the impact for employees has been on, you know, on, on, on wellness and, and employee experience and all the recent changes? It certainly sounds like because you've taken that kind of employee-centric approach to all the change that, that's gone on, I presume it's been good and obviously you've been measuring it. In, and how have you addressed that kind of whole, you know, employee experience and, and wellness thing at, at, at Coca-Cola? Yeah, look, I think it's a journey. I think while we would like to say that we're doing a good job, I think it's still not good enough. Our data is like everyone else's data. People are feeling burned out, too many priorities, too many meetings. I mean, it's a cookie cutter of what everyone else is experiencing. So despite our best efforts, I think it just is. There are a couple of things that I've been focusing on you know, just kind of processing in my mind. And one is this notion of the separation of work and home, right? So we, you know, you just said your, your kids are in the background. We have, we have blurred those lines so much that it is almost hard to physically turn it off because you can just go into your office and send one more email or respond to one more thing. And so this natural separation that we used to get when we would get on the train or get in our car to carpool home is not happening anymore. And so I think that is having an impact. It's one of the reasons that we're trying to encourage people. We're not requiring it, but we're encouraging people to start spending some time in the office because that does break up this monotony of, you know, sitting in your office at home and then, you know, having your kids running around and having no separation. So there is something about that. 
um, that I think has been um, part of the process. I think the other interesting thing is um, I was having a conversation fairly recently with one of our medical providers and they do executive physicals. And I was asking about, um, I was just curious as to what have they seen um, as a trend for executives in health over the last couple of years? And what impact has this pandemic had on health of our executives? And she said a couple of interesting things. One, which didn't surprise me, which is um, they're all losing body mass. No surprises there since we're all sitting in chairs all day long and not moving around and not getting our, our BMI index is, is very low or very high, I should say. Um, the second one was the one that surprised me, but it makes a ton of sense, which is because we're all in this secluded, somewhat isolated environment, although we're on screens all day long, we, we have no physical interaction with humans. The amount of stress that's being created in our brains is significantly reduced. So the stimulation that you're getting is through video and I'm interacting with you on video and it's, it's sort of a, a, for the most part, a bit one way, right? I, I kind of get that. I give it back to you. It's sort of, it's not dynamic, right? What happens is your brain actually loses the ability to respond to stress in a dynamic, active way. And so when you get into environments where there is more stress, you lose, it's like muscle memory. You lose the ability to handle that stress. So, and I, I, I can see this as, you know, after a year of working at home and not driving my car, I get in the car for the first time and I get on the highway to drive. And I suddenly am like skittish because cars are zipping past me. And I'm like, where did that come from? Meanwhile, when I would drive in traffic every single day, I've, I've learned to program and process all those external influencers. So I think that's something that I think there's something to that. And I think there's something to helping people understand that getting outside of your home, not just for work, but for other things is good. You know, bringing people back out of the, you know, cave is good because it teaches your brain to respond to different sensors and different reactions and you can handle stress better. So I think we've just compounded the issue with the pandemic and with us all being inside and working remote. So um, I'm not obviously a medical professional, but it certainly resonated with me that that makes a ton of sense. So, um, you know, we're trying to encourage people to come back to the office to get some exposure. We had a big um, sidewalk sale last week and we had a ton of people show up. So Coca-Cola has a good, a great licensing um, group in retail that we sell a lot of merchandise with Coca-Cola mm -hmm. brands all over it. And our sidewalk sale is a beloved event that happens once a year when all the inventory comes out and employees can buy it for fairly inexpensive rates. So we decided to have a sidewalk sale and a lot of people came back for the sidewalk sale. So we're, we've reenacted happy hours. We're trying to, again, get people back to the campus. And then one thing that we tried to do, well, we tried to do last year is we had one day, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're in 200 countries, it's a lot. We had one yeah. day that we called the global pause to refresh. And we closed all the offices for one day when everybody could just be offline for a day. On top of that, we're encouraging all the uh, different businesses to come up with their own. So some business units have focus Fridays, which are meeting free Fridays. Um, some have white space Wednesdays, which is a, you know, just a day for you to think and do work and not be focused on, um, again, meeting with people. 
And um, we also have this new this saying that we've been promoting, which is JOMO, the joy of missing out. So we're trying to get fewer meetings, opt out. It's, it's way okay to opt out of a meeting if you see there are 67 other attendees for you to say, you know what, maybe I don't need to be in that meeting. Um, so we're trying to promote some of these behaviors to get people a little more comfortable with managing their own work-life balance. Yeah, I think there's been so many studies and companies like Microsoft have published, you know, the importance of focus time. And I think that's that's definitely been more impact, quite impacted by working like this because, you know, number of Zoom meetings, Teams meetings have gone up. And I love what you were saying about um, the, you know, because we've been cocooned in our homes for the most part of the last two years. Well, most a lot of people have, not everyone, of course, because some people are key workers and they've been working. You know, maybe that, maybe, and again, I'm, you know, I haven't seen any data to back this up yet, but but maybe that's impacting people's reticent to go back to the office because they're thinking, I've got all this work to do. How will I do it when I've got a commute to deal with as well? And maybe work will adapt to, on that as well. But but yeah, it's going to be interesting again, even for the next year, eighteen months, as hopefully we do start to return to some office working. Um, how people might change their opinion and actually rather actually I quite like being in the office and seeing my colleagues face to face. So. All interesting stuff. All of this, though, and everything that you've spoken about today, Lisa, I think is clear that HR is a is a function that is transforming itself as a function. If we if we think about it, um, you know, and, and all the things that you've talked about, and as a chief people officer, how has it changed what you expect from your HR team, and and what do you think are the critical skills for for HR to be successful, even maybe even more successful moving forward? So some of the things are what we talked about in terms of um, not being focused on delivering transactions and being focused on really partnering with the businesses. And so my team, uh, my leadership team, we spent a little bit of time together in January talking about the future of our function. And what was centered on that was the role that we need to play to be ahead of the curve, right? And so HR has really kind of always been a real-time or delayed function. It's like the HR, you know, business makes the decisions, they decide what they're going to do, and then they get their HR person involved to actually transact it, right? We've moved it a little bit further up the continuum. So we're more kind of real-time now. So it's like, okay, we're making decisions. We're sitting right there. We're kind of deciding, okay, if we do this, what does that impact? So that's good. That's progress. I think we need to move even further to be ahead where we're actually looking at what's coming and processing the impact that will have on people and culture and ways of working so that when the business is dealing with it, we already know, hey, you know, this is an issue we're going to have to deal with and how do we handle it? Um, And so that's something we've been talking a lot about. I know that there was a, a recent article talking about how much more prepared companies were for dealing with the situation in Europe than we were the pandemic. And some of that was just because we've been dealing with crisis for over two years, we kind of knew very quickly the things we had to do to kind of handle the crises. So I think our function needs to be ahead of the curve, looking around the bend, staying very close to the thought leaders of, you know, whether it's digital or AI or VR, whatever is coming towards us, what is the impact to our people going to be and how are we going to respond to that in a way that helps move our businesses forward? So I think that's that's a big one. Um, I think the other one is um, coupled with that is this need to be agile and the need to be um, really able to move uh, very quickly. So HR has not been known to do that. We have lots of processes and things that have tentacles on them. So if we want to change the way we do something, it's a, you know, a big work stream that takes years to change. We have to get better at pivoting 
and moving and moving our programs and practices that way. So we have moved from um, what we call policy-led to principle-led. We can't create a policy for everything at the pace of change. So what we try to do is just create policies that allow us to focus on the guidelines and the guidance of, you know, like during the pandemic, we couldn't create a policy that addressed how we would handle COVID in over 200 countries. It's just impossible. So we said, you know, the most important thing is that we're going to prioritize the health and safety of our people. That's number one. So, you know, whatever you're doing, make sure that it does that. The second is we want to make sure people have the tools and the technology and the resources they need to perform their jobs. That was the second one. The third one was making sure that we had frequent, transparent communications. And so we put things in place. So those are the types of things that I think our function needs to move into instead of the big handbook of, you know, on page 267, little I dot three, you'll see our policy on teleworking doesn't exist anymore doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, back to our conversation about data, it's, as we move from real time to being ahead of the curve and helping our organizations anticipate what's coming, data's so important to that. Both data that we've got within the organization, but also external data external to the organization, which people analytics teams are helping their colleagues and their, their leaders see, see around corners I th- is a phrase I've heard quite a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And it is amazing, as I was saying before, because the investment in the people analytics is a little behind. But, you know, you could probably go back to humankind from even the caveman, cavewoman days and see that human behavior is very predictable. And so if we can have the data that tells us how people respond to certain situations, the predictability of that to handle the next situation and or how we approach things is there. We just have to look at the data. And so I think that that is a a really important part of this is um, like we do with financial data, like we do with, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, compliance data or sales data, customer data, we have to do the same thing with people analytics and insights as we know, and people are telling us, they're very clear in telling us they have many more channels today than they ever had before to tell us what they think and how they will respond. And we just need to pay attention to it. And as you said, you know, Coca-Cola is one of the most recognized brands in the world. The marketing uh, in the company is obviously excellent. There's so much that the, the HRT and the people analytics can, can learn from what Coca-Cola has done from a marketing perspective to customers. So, so yeah, looking forward to, to hearing more of that. Um, so Lisa, Um, Moving to the the last question, and this is a question we're asking everyone on this series, Um, you know, and it may be that you summarize some of the things that that you've already said on this, but what do you believe to be the two to three things that HR will really need to do to to add business value as we hopefully come out of that pandemic um, throughout the rest of this year and into next? Yeah, I mean, without being repetitive, one pivot that I might say is that we not that we don't, but I think we really need to listen. We really need to listen to what the business is saying, to what our employees are saying, and and test the things that we're doing to make sure that the solutions we're coming up with meet those needs and requirements. Sometimes we can get a little too focused on delivering on something and we might miss the mark. And so I think listening is one. I think the other is um, to prioritize progress over perfection and not be so concerned about rolling out a big initiative or a big support and making it perfect. But instead, like many other businesses do these days, you put out the best solution that you can based on the best information you have at that moment. 
and you adjust and pivot and evolve as you need to. And that's something that is a little more difficult with employees because everybody compares, well, previous policy allowed me to get this and now you're changing that. But I think we have to move that mindset and culture with our people, which is what a bit I talked about is we have to move the way people view their relationship with companies as being an evolution, not something that stays in place all the time. So I think those are two things that um, I would absolutely recommend. And then I think the third one gets back down to prioritizing um, talent and helping them be their best selves for your company as well as their future, because we're no longer in a place in a space where employees stay with companies for 25, 30 years. You know, companies, employees come and stay with us for a period of time and they have goals and objectives. And we, of course, want to develop and grow them in our company as much as possible. But I think it's it behooves all of us as HR professionals to develop the best talent anywhere so that everybody can be competitive, which kind of makes the pool of talent globally more marketable and better, better skilled. Um, and I think that's something we've all had sort of a, fair, a very narrow focus on. I'm going to develop you for our company and our job. And I think what we've realized now is industries um, are merging um, there's less distinction between a technology company and a CPG company. And so developing skills for the marketplace is where HR leaders should be focused. Well, that's a perfect way to, to end our conversation, Lisa. I've really enjoyed um, speaking with you. Thank you so much for being a, a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. How can listeners stay in touch with you, follow you on social media, find out more about your work? Thank you. Well, I am on LinkedIn, so you can certainly follow me there and appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and share a little bit about the thoughts of the evolution of HR and look forward to progressing the function um, even more in, in the coming future. Thank, as I said, thank you very much, Lisa. Really great. I'm sure listeners will, will, will love listening to the work that you've been leading at Coca-Cola. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show with five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. We'll be back next week for episode three of series 22, where I'll be joined by Abdul Hamada. Chief Technology Officer at Orgview. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.